we are facing a huge loneliness epidemic and the culprit most likely is our attachment to screens. So we need three to four hours a day of being empathetic of you know, having a, a dinner or a laugh or a good phone call. You can even do a Zoom phone call. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're going to range across topics from how loneliness is the new cancer. Many people are dealing with uh, you know, working from home, quarantine, being separated from what was a normal routine before. We're going to touch on leadership and we're going to get into corporations' responsibility to the environment. To help us, we are lucky to have Peter Montoya. He's a leadership strategist, keynote speaker, best-selling author of works including The Brand Called You, The Personal Branding Phenomenon, and The Latest Leadership Power. Peter, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Chad, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So we always start with a kind of an off-the-wall question. <laughs> and so everybody working from home and having all this extra time, so we say, always curious to know kind of what's a positive that you've identified as a result of this quote-unquote cliched new normal? Did, were you able to reconnect with an old hobby, explore a new one, maybe explore a different type of passion? Kind of what's a, been a positive element of all of this for you? I have picked up walking. <laughs> so <laughs> I started walking between one and two hours a day. And while I've been doing that, I've been really uh, going either deeper into podcasts and I'm also in a uh, thought leadership development course and allows me to, to re-listen to the, each module more than one time and let it further seep into the deepest recesses of my brain. Love it. I love it. And, and I'm, a big, I'm a big fitness guy. So the podcasts are now playing in my gym at home instead of music, which I typically would have done just as a way to escape. So completely understand and applaud it. So let's talk about leadership. Why? Where does, the, where does the passion for leadership come from? Help us, help us understand where that came from for you. All right. I'm going to actually ask you a question, Chad, which will sound Uh-oh. like a tangent, but it's not. Okay. So here, here's the, the $64,000 question. Based on our current trajectory in 50 years, will human civilization be better or worse off than it is right now? Better. I'm glad you're an optimist. Uh, I am not. <laughs> I have to believe that or it makes me wonder what the hell I'm doing every day. <laughs> I hear you. So uh, I actually think it's going to be worse off based on our current trajectory. I think that we could certainly turn it around, but I don't think we're turning it around fast enough. The most important question we should be asking ourselves as a species is how can we work together better to solve our problems? However, this country, especially right now, is mainly focused on how can I bludgeon the other side uh, bad enough so that my side wins. So leadership to me is about solving problems. And so I'm very passionate about it because the thought of me leaving the planet worse off to my children and grandchildren is uh, an abominable concept to me. I practice absolute responsibility and absolute responsibility means you leave things better than you found them, not worse off. Yeah. I, and I, you know what, as I rethink about that question, the way you answered it, my, my natural optimism kicked in, which probably if I had truly analyzed the question and you used a phrase current trajectory mm-hmm. and, and I'm 100% with you on current trajectory, I just have hope that we will find leaders that can help us 
be better um, for many of the same reasons that that you just outlined. I have to hope for that right now. So you, yeah, exactly. So you're you're hoping for better leaders, and I'm saying, you know what? I want to be part of that solution to develop a new generation of leaders who actually want to work together to solve uh, both small and really large problems. So I'm focused specifically on business leadership. Uh, I really think that you know they always look to big le- big businesses to solve problems, but there's millions and millions of small businesses, and by and large, you know. Oftentimes, we're sole practitioners, we get a partner, and we want to be part of a bigger community and actually work with other business leaders to solve problems rather than just make ourselves rich. And, and so, those are the leaders I want to work with. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete total sense. But the, the challenge, I think, sometimes comes down to the language itself, right? So we talk about leadership. That's a big word. It covers a lot of different things. Uh, I have to believe you probably have a way to break it down into some basic types of leadership or a mm-hmm. way to contextualize it so that it's accessible for those that may be leaders today who want to get better or for those that believe they also want to be a part of of what we're hoping is the is the adjustment of the trajectory and getting into leadership as well. Are there basic types of leadership we should be looking there, at? There are. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you a couple of definitions here and a couple of different ways of looking at leadership. So there's always the question, you know, how do you measure leadership? What makes a good leader? And I actually put leadership on two accesses. Axes. So the first one is your x-axis, which I think goes up and down, and that's more or less of your effectiveness. So the first measurement of, of leadership is how effective you are at getting the intended results. So the leader of Boko Haram, who's still out, out large, and there's still 10,000 people in Boko Haram who are out murdering, pillaging, and raping the countryside of Africa. There are over 600,000 displaced people because of their brutality. Very effective. I think a very, very evil leader. Then also you can look at people who were highly effective and also very, very good, like a Martin Luther King or a Gandhi. So effectiveness is the first and probably the most universal way we look at leadership. Then the second one is what we'll call good. <laughs> so simply, <laughs> and that basically is, are they achieving... Uh, um, are they aligned with the morality, uh, with, which means they have a moral compass that actually benefits humanity? And, so, and that really is very, very subjective. It's up to every individual to decide what is their true north for leadership. And it might be for a lot of leaders, it's just making more money. There are a lot of leaders out there who their, their true north is personal aggrandizement. So if it makes me look good, then it is a good thing. If it makes me look bad, then it's a bad thing. I think most people, their true north in their, in their compass is personal enrichment. Most Americans just want to be um, wealthy and have you know nice things and have a good time. And for me, my moral compass is set very solidly at maximizing human well-being. So when I look at leaders who I think are good leaders, they're effective and they're also maximizing human well-being for as many people as possible. So this, all right, so we're going to totally go off script, I know. And, and anybody who's listening to the show has heard, oh, me do great. This, I love that. heard me do this before. So it brings up an interesting point, right? So if you think of small to medium, and, and it depends on how you slice and dice them, right? But we're talking about, let, let's say the mom and pops. Those are typically a, how do I provide for my family kind of business? How do I, mm-hmm. they're, they're not looking for global domination. It's much more intrinsic or I, I don't want to say smaller because I don't mean to belittle their vision in any way, but it, it is, um, let's say, it's a smaller sphere of influence. And then you have SMBs, which start to get into the, the genesis of, of that corporate. It takes on a kind of a life of its own. It's, you could almost anthropomorphize it if you wanted to. And then you have, of course, the big global corporations. There's a hard... For me, I struggle with, you know, how do you create an organization that has a true north when the organization itself is made up of so many individuals 
diverse perspectives. And even in some cases, I've unfortunately been in organizations where the leader, the CEO or the top top person may have a very clear true north from a moral compass standpoint, but there are people inside the organization that don't necessarily share that vision, so aren't executing in a way that supports it. That's mm-hmm. a heck of a lot to manage. How do you make sure... And, and can you actually... Let's back up. Can you tell by looking at an organization, the way it performs, the things it does, where it invests its time, what mm-hmm. type of leadership they have, and if they're focused on the well-being of, of humanity or some more Wall Street serving, self-serving type of approach? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The answer is yes. So uh, let's just talk about old school leadership and new world leadership. And it's going to lead right into an answer for your question. So don't feel like I'm going too far abroad here. Oh, no, it's great. Let's, let's All right. go. Let's go abroad. So, uh, you know, old school leadership was very, very top down. It was command and control. Think about the, you know, the drill and sergeant, drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Think yep. about Gordon Gecko from um, Wall Street saying greed is good. He only cared about making more money. You know, think about leaders like that who are kind of out to serve themselves and they only had one fact that they were concerned about making money killing people uh you know achieving one aim they're very very myopic and they also used a lot of fear and intimidation and bullying to motivate their forces and that was old school leadership now there's kind of a new world of leadership arising here and i'm going to call it five-factor leadership let me ask you a question chad it's gonna be a tough one for you (sighs) if the old way of leadership was mainly about dictating that was what a leader primarily did is told people what to do to the thinking yeah. and the dictating. What is new world leadership about? What is the number one job of a leader today? I would have to guess consensus. Good. All right. It's a good guess. Little different from where I am. So what I say is this, the number one job of a leader today is leadership development. So the number one job of a leader today is to get their people thinking Orient with a mission and empowered to actually become better leaders, which becomes a force multiplier for uh, any okay. organization. So in the for, in the past, you had these uh, we'll call top of the pedestal leaders. They, you know, their feet didn't stink. They were never wrong. They ruled by an iron fist. It was intimidation. And today, what you're finding, the very best leaders do what you said, which was lead by consensus. They actually teach their people, make sure they're completely and totally align with the mission and maybe they might have to change what the mission might be to get more in consensus consensus and alignment with everybody else they work together to create a cohesive set of values and they're more or less making the individuals empowered as leaders as well so the best leadership today is a leader of leaders and we'll call it a five-factor leader I, yeah, I love it. I, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a gentleman by the name of Ryan Avery who does a lot of professional speaking. He's, uh, I think he, he was the public speaking champ, youngest public speaking champ, or whatever. And I had the opportunity to be in a room where he did his presentation. And he, he wasn't talking about leadership. He was talking about the difference between generations. But that top-down approach is very triangular, right? It's a baby boomer-esque, old school, whatever you want to call it. It's very mm-hmm. triangular. You know, there's somebody at the top. You have to earn your right. The, the thing I use is you, you always have to, you had to earn your right to sit at the adult table at Thanksgiving, at least in my mm-hmm. house, right? I didn't get there until I was 36. And you had to earn your right to get away from the creepy card table in the piano corner, in the room near the piano. But if you look at millennials and, and, and kind of the, the next slide, let's forget about Gen Xers for a second. It's much more circular. It's much more a shared 
um, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's not, it's not dictating from on high. They don't respond well to that Mm-mm. at all. I mean, we're, we're seeing the challenges in, in the business today. So in that type of environment where we're getting to that five factor leadership, what I, I mean, I understand cause I was raised by baby boomers. So I'm gen X, <laughs> uh, think me more like a square. I get both sides of the equation. But when you think about those leaders in, in those flat organizations in, in, in that consensus type of, of outfit, where does the source of leadership power come from? Yeah. Good question. You're talking about individual personal leadership power or you're talking about the organization when you're a leader ah, of both. the organization. Got both. It. So uh, let me ask yet another question. You keep walking into some of my, in my uh, core questions here. Do you want more power and why or why not? I do not because with, to quote Spider-Man, with power comes, or with, yeah, with power comes great responsibility and I'm just getting too old. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. So let me see if I can change your mind. I'll give you a definition of power. And power is the ability to achieve intended results. Power is the ability to achieve intended results. Okay. So whether you want to positively influence more people, whether you want to build an organization, or maybe you want just greater happiness in your life. Maybe you want to take a really great vacation every year with your, your spouse and kids. Maybe you want to have better health. Maybe you want to lose 20 pounds. Maybe you want to get your car fixed. I mean, for some people, that is a major undertaking, just you know, getting that arranged. So power is the ability to achieve intended results. So no matter what you want that you don't currently have, it's all about increasing the amount of power. Uh, okay. okay. See, and this is where, this is where my natural, um, pessimism comes in. Cause like you I associate that word with power with the misuse of oh, it. Yeah. Right. And so I, I can totally see having it in, in day to day and, and self-fulfillment and how do I get those things done? The, the question is, and I know for me, my personal journey, it was not natural to develop power that allowed me to achieve results, but do it in a way that didn't compromise those around me, right? That mm-hmm. lifted them up rather than stepped on them. It was a, it was a long career journey. Not that I'm that old, but I mean, I am bald. But anyway, so <laughs> w- when you look back through it, are there innate qualities that leaders are born with? Or is this something that you can nurture over time? So uh, everyone, just so you know, first of all, I believe that everyone actually is a leader. So whether they actually have a position of authority or they actually have followers or not, everyone is a leader. There are three different domains of leaders. The first one's what you're, everyone thinks about, you know, it's just, it means you have a title and you have a group. So you're a leader of either an organization or of a company. That's you know, one domain. Second leader is of your friends and family. So you're always modeling a behavior when <laughs> people you want to follow and replicate or they don't. So you're leading in that regard. And the third leadership is leadership of self. So, you know, the the easiest way to gauge your leadership effectiveness, real simple, is you look at where you are in life as opposed to where you want to be. And wherever you are, your house, your car, your family, your relationships, your level of happiness, your physical health, wherever you are, that's the effectiveness of your leadership is wherever you happen to be. It's the only way to actually gauge a leader is by their results. Often and harsh, but always makes fair. Well, but I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're in those positions and, and you know, think of the global corporations and you're in the spotlight and Wall Street's looking for you to deliver or a board's looking for you to deliver, you're in there for a reason and it's not just to sit around and celebrate, right? You, mm-hmm. have to, you have to be able to deliver some type of change. But that creates an interesting dynamic, right? So you have 
corporations where the leadership there's, I mean, and multiple levels of leadership throughout the organization, obviously. But when you think about it, they have the Wall Street's targets they have to hit or the return that the board is expecting. That's one type of leadership and engagement and management versus also at the same time driving to that consensus or leadership development internally. That's a wide skill set. So that, to me, it seems like an extremely wide skill set. Am I wrong? No, that's, and that's what a five-factor leader does. So let me give you a little bit of history and background on five-factor leadership. So uh, in 1997, the Business Roundtable, which is 200 of America's largest business CEOs. So whenever you think who are the who's who of American business and the CEOs, they actually belong to the Business Roundtable, and there's only 200 of them. So some of the people who are in there are Amazon and Apple and uh, ExxonMobil. So you're talking about the who's who of American capitalism. And when they... Uh, postulated what the purpose of American business was back in 1997, they said the following, the purpose of a business is to enrich enrich shareholders and any other benefit to employees or the community only should be done in service of the primary mission of enriching shareholders, which basically means make more money as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else too bad. Very Gordon Gecko. <laughs> but guess what? Back in 2019, maybe about six months ago, there was a tectonic level sea change. I just mixed metaphors there. Please forgive me. <laughs> tectonic sea change. Tectonic level change that they actually came out with a new purpose of an organization. And they said the purpose of an organization is in service of all five shareholders or stakeholders, which include the employees, vendors and suppliers, the community it services, the environment, and number five on the list was shareholders. They said all of them must be considered as a purpose of a business. And when a leader actually considers all five of those things rather than just making more money, it dramatically changes their leadership style and their consideration, making them a factor five leader. Now, in, in that, with that roundtable, does that roundtable... So I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And I believe wholeheartedly that that is a much more holistic way of looking at an organization of any size and what impact it'll have on community, suppliers, environment, so, so on and so forth. I wonder, does that run in the face of the way Wall Street has historically mm-hmm. gone after or talked about or, or analyzed companies? And, and are we since it just came out six months ago, are we looking at a potential clash between the way Wall Street has been set up to mm-hmm. kind of be the bar for a lot of these organizations versus some broader sense of accomplishment or achieving those results than we've seen in the past? It's going to take, a, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's going to take decades for the culture of businesses to change uh, a court more alignment to this. Because you know what, uh, when the company makes a lot of money, it's very, very black and white and very, very apparent because people still have jobs and they get bonuses and raises. However, when a uh, the Arctic doesn't quite melt as much as everyone expected to, it's really hard to measure those results. It isn't nearly <laughs> as binary. So yeah, it's going to take a while for American businesses to get around there. Because what's interesting uh, of those five, you know, stakeholders, one of them is making sure the employees are being taken care of. And every captain of every American business, 200 businesses, you know, Amazon and Chase Bank, you, you name it, Walmart. And most of those businesses currently are still not paying their people a living wage. Right. So they're already a lot out of alignment with a very document they signed just six months ago. It's going to take a while. So do, I mean, do we, do we realistically, back to that very first question you asked me with the trajectory that we're on, do we have decades 
No. Okay. No, we don't. Yeah, the, so. the biggest concern that I've got, you know, income inequality, degradation of the environment, and the big one that's on my radar, scaring me like Godzilla coming out of the ocean, is climate change. Right. Yeah, it's a big one, and and I don't. Yeah, yeah we could go off on a whole nother. <laughs> I know. Topic on that one. And we, we both just leave depressed, completely, yeah, totally deflated. Right. So. I I still. Yeah. I don't know. I need to stop myself. All right. Let's stay focused because that. I mean, that's a big one. It's a big passion point for me as well. Like, I, I pay very close attention. I mean, I do what I can. Right. Mm-hmm. I pay very close attention to my footprint, to my consumption, mm-hmm. to things like that um, on every element. And that translates into my business. And I will say from my business in looking for a a bright spot in, in the quarantine and the, you know, no more travel for a while kind of thing. My footprint has decreased because I was living on planes. I mean, I had 167,000 air miles last year. I was all over the globe. And in all of those places, it's really hard sometimes to pay very close attention to your footprint. So for me, at an individual level, it felt like a plus. But I know from the organizations that we deal with, there was a great deal of panic. Oh, are we going to get the same level of productivity if people are remote? Are we? How are we going to engage? How are we going to keep our culture alive? How are we going to make sure that our employees are okay? And I do have to pay kudos to the clients I work with. They, they all have done an amazing job of getting creative about taking care of employees. But it, it is a shift that do you think the current thing that we're going through, because we're kind of in between waves, I think, on this COVID thing, do you think this plus the social unrest that we're seeing might be a pivot point to change the trajectory, not only of humanity, but of businesses at a pace faster than would have happened without it? Yeah. So for me, I think this current pandemic has been much more of an accelerant than it has been a change agent. I would love to think it has been a change agent when people saw dolphins swimming in the canals in Venice and people actually went to the beach and they could see their feet when they walked in the water. You would think that would give them a glimpse or when they were in Beijing, you could actually see the sky and realize how much much air pollution there really is. You would kind of hope that people gave people a window of what life could be and they would go, we don't want to go back to the way things were anymore, but I don't think it has been. So it has accelerated a certain change. We're going to continue to see the death of, of brick and mortar retail, not all of it, but a lot of it. We're going to see an acceleration to things like Amazon online, Walmart online, groceries online is currently only 1%, probably on its way to 15%, uh, Zoom meetings, conferences online. So all of those things have been accelerated faster than they would have happened before. And you're right, probably not enough abrupt enough to make a pivot the way I'd like it to be. Yeah, it's a big pivot. I mean, it's a big ask, right? We're asking for the future of humanity. And you know what? It's it's interesting to me because when I first started doing business in in China, I got slapped in the face. I was young, right out of business school, um, was over there doing some business and was having dinner with CEO of a company. And it was a slap in the face to to my Americanisms that he was thinking generationally about mm. his company. He was thinking hundreds of years. He wasn't thinking next quarter or whatever. And that just was part of the, the culture at that point. Mm-hmm. To, to get even US corporations, which I still believe have a tendency to drive for better or for worse, a lot of the, the waves that we see uh, in the business environment, to get that kind of mind shift, that's, 
it's not going to be easy. And I, no, it's and, radical. And you know, Peter, now I'm sitting here realizing I might be getting depressed as we're talking. About this <laughs> <laughs> like, this like, is why my wife calls me the dream killer uh, all the time. So yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, but it's a harsh reality and, and you can't make the change if you don't accept the reality right now. Everybody's debating about what is the current reality right now in business or, or in any other element. And are you, are you seeing leaders and I'll even expand it very carefully. I'll expand it into the political arena. Are you seeing business leaders or political leaders or activist leaders emerging that give you hope instead of, Oh crap, we're doomed. Uh, yeah, gosh, unfortunately we either need big business or the government to lead the change as, so we as individuals can provide the motivation and the political courage to, to political leaders and business leaders. But unfortunately, it has got to come through policy from really big institutions in order to make massive, massive, massive changes. So we can only hope that maybe in the next political, maybe after the election, with either current administration or new administration, we'll start seeing some better changes happening um, on the environmental front. Yeah, uh, and, and going back to your earlier point there, which you started alluding to, the first key to all leadership, all collaboration, all problem solving is a common understanding of what the facts are. And so right now, uh, information has been weaponized to keep people from stopping from moving. So yes, uh, one of the skills I teach is skepticism, which is how to basically determine what the truth is and apply the the correct amount, amount of confidence to information. So rather than thinking things are a fact, you might go, well, this is my current opinion. And you are always open to new information. For, for me, everything I know is tentative pending new information. So you, I'm not solid on anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and I think that's a very, I mean, I, I was, I was lucky enough to have that taught to me very early that there's a difference between a thought and a belief mm-hmm. and that beliefs are rooted much more deeply. And, and, you know, it's like, hey, this is the direction we're going until I get more information because mm-hmm. anything could change at any given point and you have to be ready, you know, you have to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. That, that that almost creates a mindset in a leader that requires comfort with chaos. Yes, absolutely right. a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, we as human beings, we're incredibly anxious creatures. We hate <laughs> uncertainty. You know, we want to basically know that we have economic security, food security, relationship security, and we want tomorrow to be better than it was today on our own terms. Right. And unfortunately, we're, we got slapped in the face here with this pandemic. And all of a sudden, we realized, hey, you know what? The ground I'm standing on isn't as solid as I thought it was. And that has caused a lot of people to lose their minds yeah. uh, <laughs> this last four months. Because you, you basically see all that anxiety, all the civil unrest come from all that uncertainty. Yeah. All right. So in the materials that you sent over, there was a there was a phrase that I, I wanted to unpack a little bit. Loneliness is the new cancer. Yeah. So help me help me understand that and then what you're seeing, how that's impacting business and people in general. All right. So I'm going to give you a couple of polls here and I'm going to ask you some questions. And all this information is pre-COVID. I, I don't have any new data what's happened after COVID and the pandemic. How many hours a day does a human being need of high quality social contact to minimize their anxiety, maximize their happiness, sense of purpose, sense of belonging, sense of well-being? How many hours does a person need of good social contact? What's your best guess, Chad? So so you, are we talking uh, work, friends, family, or, or all of Combined, we'll call it. I mean, it's, it's very subjective, but most likely we're not playing video games, right? <laughs> or watching right. a movie. Well, and we could be at work, but you know, we're looking face to face, we're empathizing with each other, we're not just problem solving. There's a human connection, 
So how many hours do we need? Um, I, I guess three to four. Yeah, exactly. Three to four is exactly the number uh, that came up out of got, uh, Gallup. All right. How many? How much time per day is the average American getting, and this is pre-COVID, of good social contact per day? Ooh, pre-COVID. Um, let's go. I'm going to say probably half of that, one and a half to two. 41 minutes uh, was the average, 41 minutes. Now here's the real zinger. I haven't given you the zinger yet. How many hours per day is the average American spending on screens at work and at home, computer screens, TV screens, tablets, phones, how many uh, gaming, how many hours per day is the average American spending on screens? Once again, this is pre COVID. What's your best Uh, guess? I'm going to say a 10. 11 and a half hours. <laughs> I mean, so I now, know I'm in front of them a lot for work, but I, you know, and then you think about TVs and the kids and the video games and like, all oh, right, it's bad. So long short, we are facing a huge loneliness epidemic and the culprit most likely is our attachment to screens. So we need three to four hours a day of being empathetic of you know, having a, a dinner or a laugh or a good phone call. You can even do a Zoom phone call. I was doing a Zoom phone call every day for 30 minutes just so I could see somebody else and laugh and joke a little bit. Right. Uh, that's what we actually need to maximize our, our confidence and our self-esteem and our kind of sense of well-being and also wards off stress. So we are, all the diseases of destitute are all on their way up. That means uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, depression, uh, suicidal ideation, suicide, divorce, all those are on their way up because of our incredible lack of connectedness to other human beings. Jeez. Man, I was so happy before I got on this podcast, with you, Peter. Wow. Uh, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask post production to put Dream Killer somewhere. You show your wife. Jeez. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a author, as a speaker, as a sought after uh, trainer of leaders. That makes you a target for people. A target in a good way. Prospect, I should say, for sales professionals. So no doubt, people are trying to get in front of you all the time. And I'm always curious when somebody doesn't have a personal reference in a trusted reference. What is it that captures your attention or helps someone who doesn't know you earn the right to some time on your calendar? I really like thought leaders, so I'm always consuming new information. So somebody's either writing an article, being interviewed on a podcast, and they really impress me because of the expertise in their domain. That's what nabs me. Love it. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional service people, one piece of advice you would give them that you believe would help them hit their targets or be more effective, what would it be and why? Uh, we hit on it earlier. Everyone is a leader. So I don't care if you're the lowest ranking paid person in any company, you are a leader. Start seeing yourself as such uh, and start consuming every single book you can possibly find specifically on leadership, communication, influence, human beings. Our brains are the most powerful pattern recognition systems ever invented. And what they allow us to do is predict the future. And when you read more books, when you start seeing yourself as a leader, you start seeing more patterns and therefore you're more able to predict the future and know how to navigate. So more or less being a leader, what it really is, is about pattern recognition, knowing what happens when you push push and pull certain levers so you can get the outcome that you want. So really adapt that idea of leadership and leadership power, which is the ability to achieve intended results. It is a force multiplier for your organization or for yourself. 
Love it. All right. So if a listener's interested in talking more about these topics or getting in contact with you, where would you like us to send them? The easiest way, well, you know, I, before I was a leadership guy, I was a personal branding guy. Uh-huh. I wrote a book called The Brand Called You. So my website's really easy and it's petermontoya.com, petermontoya.com. And on there, I have a brand new a group leadership program uh, called the High Performance Organization, how to dominate any industry in any market at any time. And we basically turn small businesses into a leader organization, which multiplies their forces ability to get things done. We really want to supercharge organizations to grow by 25 to 50% every single year. And yes, even in bad years like this. <laughs> All right, Peter, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been amazing having you on the show. I love being here, Chad. It was so much fun. I'm sorry for being such a, a dream killer today. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> I, I, I'm two divorces in, man. My skin's thick enough. It's fine. It's all good. <laughs> all right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.